By the way, my name is Dan Fountain, and my wife and I spent 35 years in the Democratic Republic of the Congo as medical missionaries. She's a nurse, and I just kind of do everything. Uh, and back even in medical school, as a Christian, heavy into Bible study, and having been called to be a medical missionary when I was a small boy, I ran into a problem that I had no way to solve, how to put medicine and faith together, back together. Because the problem of modern medicine is reductionism. And the medicine, the nursing, the whatever your branch is that you have studied or been trained in is based on two assumptions, unproven assumptions, and they're there. And the assumptions of modern medicine is that every disease has a physical cause. Now, we may not have found the physical causes for things like fibromyalgia, or even why the islets of Langerhans don't produce enough insulin in a lot of people, or that term that I guess they still use called essential hypertension. We know there must be a physical cause somewhere, and we've got to find it. And, of course, the second is a corollary of that. Therefore, there must be a physical treatment or treatments for every disease. And as you can quickly see, that puts the focus of medicine and nursing entirely in the physical, scientific, measurable realm. And I knew that was too narrow. It took many years for me uh, to find out from the Lord himself, who made us as whole persons, how do we bring care for mind, soul, and spirit together with good medical care. One is not an exclusion of the other. They all need to fit together. And we as Christians are the ones who have to bring things back together. So I'm just going to keep that up there as sort of a, uh, what I mean by whole person care. So, for those of you who have just come, there are three pads going around on which you can write your name, address, and email legibly if you want to be part of an ongoing uh, email network of people interested in whole person care and getting an occasional posting from one or more of us and then being able to ask questions, send experiences, and so forth. So, uh, this is a roundtable discussion. And so, I want to know what do you want to discuss. Uh, I'm pleased to see all of you here. Uh, and I confess, I have a real passion for bringing the healing resources that Jesus has made available to us that are in the scripture and that he gives to us through his Holy Spirit, bringing them to the sick people who need them. 
And as most of you know who are in any kind of practice, be it here in Louisville or in Bangladesh, that underlying many, many especially chronic diseases are psychosocial spiritual issues that if they're not adequately dealt with, then adequate therapy is not possible. Then we are reduced to just doing physical therapy or pharmacology. Okay, uh, I need a nurse who can write legibly here on the whiteboard. What are particular questions you have in your mind that have brought you here this morning that you would like for us to discuss? I can see you have legible hands. <laughs> Uh, there is a microphone here, so if you want to say something, I need a gopher. I'll be a gopher. Thank you. What questions do you have in your mind about how can we care for people as people and not as patients? I'd like to discuss the question of where you're preaching to the choir. How do we convince other people? Okay, how can we convince other people of the necessity of caring for the whole person? Uh, and can I just ask you to expand on that a little bit? What are your frustrations in that area? Well, I'm non-medical, mm -hmm. and I work in a free clinic. And I you work where? I work in a free clinic that uh -huh. we run through our church for the uninsured. Uh -huh. And we also do international travel and, and clinics all over in India and stuff uh -huh. like that. And my question is the fact that I'm not medical. I have a lot of people who think that I should not be talking to the patients. I should not be um, greeting them, meeting them, uh -huh. and that I just should be giving them to, their, to the exam room. Yeah. And I feel that we do a lot more upstairs and we need more time with them before they even go down and see the doctor. Yeah. Okay. We have a hard time convincing a lot of our volunteers we're wasting doctors' time when we're talking to them upstairs. Okay. Actually, that's a two-pronged question. And for us health professionals, it's a question, how can we transmit this concept to other health providers, doctors, nurses, therapists, who have been trained in the biomedical reductionist model of medicine? The other prong is, how do we train the public? Because people expect from us simply an MRI, a CT scan, or a shot of penicillin. Okay, another question. Yeah. By the way, I take long enough with the patients that there's plenty of time for you to spend time with the patient, so go for it. <laughs> it makes it easier when the patient comes to me if you already spent a lot of tell, time with them. Tell us who you are. Um, my name is Brian Hollinger. Esperanza Health Center in Philadelphia. Yeah. Hi. Dan visited us a few months ago. Thanks, yeah. Dan. Um, my, uh, our, one of the thoughts I have is uh, how do we um, break out of the model, the two-tiered model of we're the people that treat and you're the people that receive care? How do we break out of this uh, I give, you receive uh, model and, and empower individuals and communities to, uh, to be about their own health care? to be advocates for their own health care, to be concerned about their own health care, 
Um, yes, they need experts here and there for people who are educated about health for some of it, but I think the vast majority can be, uh, should be accomplished on, uh, on a peer level, perhaps, uh, somehow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Basically talking about how can we help people take the initiative to participate in their own health. Okay? Another question. Uh, I just wanted to expand on, on the other lady's uh, uh, question and comments because actually I think it's three-pronged. Because um, I think what you were saying is that there, um, as, a, as somebody who's non-medical, that you find that some of the other volunteers or other non-medical people think you're maybe – you know, wasting doctors' time or wasting the patient's time. And so how do you empower other people to, uh, including the person themselves, the volunteer or the non-medical person themselves, or the people who um, use them, to uh, see themselves as someone who can be beneficial? Uh, I, for example, I'm a, I'm a medical director at a managed care plan, and I keep uh, reminding some of, even the, even the medical type of people, the social workers that you know that are case managers, that they are change agents, and I'm like we're not change agents, we're, you know, they, they just see themselves as you know paper pushers and approve this, this, you know, whatever, you know, and so I think it's how to change the way people look at people who are not medical and how the non-medical people look at themselves. Yeah. Okay. Teacher at the town university, and my question would be: How do we even encourage students who are thinking of it? There's such a culture that you don't dare talk about anything religious in a secular environment. Yeah. And the students have learned, especially those who come from secular schools, to be very careful not to mention their faith, and they've been careful to distance it from any secular pursuit. Not because they want to, but because that's how the habit is. And how do you say, yes, you can reach individual people more than physically if you want to do medicine? Okay. How do we bring spiritual care into a secular environment? Is that a summary of what you're saying? And specifically, I'm talking to Christian students. And, and I've had a All Christian right. student who's thinking about medicine saying, I don't see how my Christianity has much to do with how I would practice. Medicine. All right. Some come from backgrounds where they see it because they had contact with mission doctors or something. But yeah. Others don't see it at all and they feel kind of threatened. And yep. And of course, if you're, say, at uh, Mass General Hospital, can you pray with a sick person inside Mass General Hospital or Johns Hopkins, that sort of thing? Okay. More questions. I'm an occupational therapist, and one of the things that's good about our profession is that we have a section called spirituality, so you can define that however you want to, and I choose to define it the way the Bible defines it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd be interested in how some of the practical ways you bridge from one to the other. I've learned how to do that, but I'm always looking forward to other ways that I can bridge from one area of their of a person's life, from the physical to the spiritual to the emotional, bridging back and forth. And once you learn to do that, I love going to work because of the opportunity to pray with people and, and just to meet their spiritual needs as well. Not to call it Christian, but call it something else because I've learned to work in a Muslim culture where you don't mm -hmm. use that word. 
uh, I choose to use, I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and bridge into that area rather than something else. So what could we say? How do we move from generic spirituality to a Christ-centered spirituality in different environments? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, let's take one more question. Yeah, I'm a public health professional. I just want to expand a little on what uh, uh, the physician over here said about uh, empowering patients. And how do you get them to uh, accept the benefits of preventing care as opposed to just cure? and begin to practice preventing care in their treatment and accept that and really uh, get involved in that part of their treatment along with uh, just coming to uh, the doctor for, for treatment of their, of their illnesses. In other words, you'd sort of like us to discuss preventive spiritual care? Well, that would be good too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Is, is there such a thing as preventive prayer, for example? Yeah. All right, that, that's, that's something worth getting your teeth into. Um, all right, we've got five questions up here. How can we convince others of the need to care for the whole person? How can we help individuals and communities take the initiative to participate in their own health care rather than just being passive recipients of whatever we tell them to do? How do we encourage Christian students to bring their Christianity into a secular setting, health care? And how can we move from a generic Christ-centered perspective in different environments? And is there such a thing as preventive spiritual care? Uh, but I think also there was another related to this. How can you practice Christ-centered whole person care in, uh, well, let's just say Mass General Hospital, Massachusetts General Hospital. I just picked that name out of a hat. In other words, in a secular-based hospital. Is it legitimate? And if so, how do you go about it? So would you write that down? And then you put one, two, three, four, five, six. Now, we only have 40 minutes left. But I think we're going to take 15 minutes, and you're going to rearrange yourselves. Those of you who would like to discuss question number one, you gather over there. Those of you who want to discuss question number two, you gather over there. Those of you who want to discuss question number three, uh, you gather over there. Um, those who want to discuss question number four can gather around here. And those who want to discuss preventive spiritual care, y'all can jump out there. No, no, come on over here. And then somebody do a little recording in each group. And at uh, 9.05, we'll come back here. Okay, go for it. Okay, unfortunately the time has come and it's 
the time is much too short, but if we're going to get any kind of debriefing, we're going to have to quit at this point and get some feedback from our different groups. So if I can interrupt what I'm sure are very productive discussions, uh, we'll move on. So in each of your groups, listen to the conclusion of the particular group. You may want to jot down some notes. So let's move ahead now. Are you guys number one? Okay, there's the question. How can we convince others of the need to care for the whole person? And would you give the solution? Oh, the microphone, where is the microphone? Here, sir. The one thing we came up with is um, in the setting that I'm in, the way we, 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 we chart people's physical progress. We chart what people are doing as far as their medical treatment, but we never take a spiritual history of persons. Okay. And, that, and then we never put that, like, um, into their chart. And um, one of the quick things could be is that later when we're doing prayers with them, we could say, this is what we pray for this person, and it could be in the chart. So when people look at it, they can see where they're at, where their needs are, where their stresses are, and things like that. Confidentiality, I don't know. We have to think about that. I mean, it works better overseas. For some reason, the pastors love to take the time with the people. But here it was too much like, let's just take care of them physically and let the church worry about their spiritual stuff. And bringing it all together, um, it, it's going to take time. What do you mean by a spiritual history? What would go into it? That's what we were talking about. What questions do you ask? Do you ask yeah. just the emotional, behavioral, or do you have to do the anthropology of people who they always may have? What do you believe about yourself? You know, the whole, I mean, there's, there's going to have to be a lot of training in it, and there's a big, a big gamut of things to cover. And it's, it's hard to take someone's spiritual blood pressure, so to speak, or heart pressure. All right, y'all, please take note of that. That's a marvelous question for this email network we want to establish. In other words, you may have, you may already be doing this. And if you are, share it with the rest of us. What kind of questions should be included in a spiritual history? Any Want to, want to ask a particular question of group number one before we go to number two? All right, let's go to uh, question number, I mean, yeah, group number two, question number two. Whoops. How to empower persons in communities to take the initiative uh, in their own health care? We weren't quite uh, ready to quit talking. I can't imagine. Right. <laughs> um, we had some um, good insights. Um, uh, talking the importance of asking questions, I think, as opposed to um, telling people, hey, we have the knowledge, uh, you guys come and, uh, and enjoy what we're, we're going to tell you what to do. Uh, person A, you do this. Person B, you do that. Uh, no, uh, realizing that that doesn't work, uh, particularly when people are different and People are set in their ways, and people are in different cultures. Uh, we can't just say we have the answers, uh, and you, you, all you need to do is follow them. Uh, nutrition is important, and all kinds of other things for preventive care. But somehow, 
if people have to arrive at their own conclusions. And um, that's happening very effectively in Bolivia in, in some ways that I'm not going to describe adequately. But they have groups that they get together uh, that involve even kids talking about topics where the facilitators who may feel like they have the answers, um, rather than giving the answers, ask questions only and require that, that the groups go and research the questions, go find the answers, go see what other people are doing, and come up with their uh, conclusions. Uh, women had to address uh, things like domestic violence uh, and a variety of different groups that are structured, fixed groups, women groups, women groups, whatever, that are uh, coming up in their own communities with their own answers. And because it's coming from within, uh, there's empowerment and there's buy-in from the beginning because it's not an outside product that's thrust upon them. Uh, and similar uh, similar things are happening in the community health evangelism programs through CMF and, and others <coughs> that are uh, using similar approaches. Modeling uh, where uh, a volunteer learns about um, healthy living and volunteers to live that way in their community and make home visits to uh, impart their knowledge to other people and, and let them see what uh, healthy living results right there before their eyes really makes a difference too. The other thing that came up was the importance of uh, realizing that each person is valuable and has important things to say, and, and there's a, just a very natural link between uh, community health and evangelism, the spiritual peace, because uh, the spiritual peace involves communicating to somebody that Christ died for them, that they are unique, they are important, their opinion is, is important. Can anyone think of a biblical illustration of the importance of participating in your own health care. When Jesus told the blind to go put mud in his eyes, he didn't, Jesus didn't only heal him like right away, but he asked him to go do, some, do something for himself. Okay, uh, John chapter 9, the man born blind. Uh, Jesus put mud on his eyes and told him to go to the pool of Siloam. Would his sight have been restored if he hadn't gone? Jesus could have done it anyway. Probably not. There's another marvelous example in 2 Kings chapter 5. This very distinguished general of the army, chief of staff from Syria who had leprosy. And he came to the doctor and the doctor wouldn't even see him just sent a note by his office manager to tell the guy to go jump in the river seven times. And keep in mind, it was a two-day journey from Samaria down to the Jordan River, a 4,000-foot descent into a dirty river. And, of course, Naaman was furious. But he didn't get healed until he did it. That's a marvelous illustration of how we must participate in what God wants to do for us. Okay, let's go on to question number three, uh, group number three, how to bring Christian spirituality into a secular environment. Now, please note, I am a physician. I know how to write legibly, 
uh, I don't necessarily know how to write uh, correctly. <laughs> but anyway, group number three. All right, group number three. We have a very active group over here uh, with a lot of excellent input. I won't be able to tell everything we said, but what we came up with basically was that when we claim to be a Christian, first of all, as a, first of all, it's very important that we are able to mentor a Christ-centered self-care before we can teach a student how to do Christ-centered care for other people. Well, how do we model that? Well, uh, someone suggested that we could uh, send students on mission trips with people who are able to model that, or also as professors that we can teach students how to model their own spiritual care. And that uh, someone also said that JACO even supports us uh, by requiring that the provider and the patient discuss their spirituality. Um, someone said that they've often asked patients, would you like to pray, and never had anyone turn them down. Uh, and so a lot of times there's this fear element of a bomb that's going to explode, and that bomb doesn't really exist. Someone else suggested that we remember we take it from organizational level down to individual level, and that we, um, we must have that spirituality, that Christ-centered walk in our own life before we can communicate it to others. Uh, we said that uh, when we claim to be a Christian, it is very important that we come to work early, we stay till work is done, and we do excellent work, and we parallel that to possibly uh, someone driving like a maniac, but then having a Jesus Christ sticker in their car. We want to have a walk that uh, exemplifies what we are saying. Okay. Uh, you mentioned JACO. JACO is the Joint Commission for Accrediting Hospital Organizations or Healthcare Organizations the official accrediting agency for U.S. hospitals. They require spiritual care. So spiritual care is back in. We can talk about it. We can engage in it if we do it correctly. And one quick example, my colleague, Dr. Sherry O'Donnell, who's an internist in St. Joe, Michigan, and who for a while was an um, emergency room physician, in the city hospital in St. Joe, she was called on the carpet by the administrator for praying with people in the emergency room. And Sherry went to that carpet well prepared. She had evidence in her uh, satchel that she was able to pull out. She was able to answer every question for the administrator. And... Uh, you know, it worked extremely well. We need to realize this is evidence-based. It must be patient-focused, patient-directed. And if that is in place, then it works real well. Okay, let's go to number four. Uh, what... No, number four is how to move from generic spirituality to a specifically Christian spirituality. Okay, our small group here um, discussed this. And I, by the way, the World Health Organization, too, has uh, lots of uh, encouragement toward spirituality. In WHO. WHO Good. as well. Um, so that our question is how to move from a generic spirituality to Christ-centered in different environments. We didn't... We only scratched the surface, but what we came up with is that it's important to study the demographic and to understand the population that is mm -hmm. served, whether it's cross-cultural or within your own community. But then to go from generic or population-based understanding 
to specifics, which requires uh, questioning. So this is questioning the patients at the, at the point of care, uh, key questions, uh, even if they're time constraints, questions that can open up uh, an understanding of where they're at spiritually. And then to realize, uh, we said that this is a person, so that is a mind shift from the bio, biomedical reductionistic uh, approach to this is a, a gallbladder to this is a person, this is a soul. And then, uh, then to depend on the Holy Spirit for discernment and also words to say at the time for the encounter. Statements such as God be with you or I will pray for you uh, are widely accepted for the most part and that it's, it's evidence shows that the patients want to be, uh, to discuss spirituality, so not to be afraid of discussing spirituality. But then when you try to move from generic spirituality to specific Christian spirituality, uh, that's that's where the bridges need to be built. And somebody in our group from a Muslim background uh, said, you know, you can say that I'm going to pray for you in the name of Isa al-Masih, for example. Uh, and then uh, in your questioning of an individual patient, you can you have to go below the surface to say, well, I'm a, I'm a Baptist. Well, that's a fairly meaningless statement. You have to go deeper to say, well, what do they, do they truly believe that Christ is the, is the way and the truth and the life? And then to build bridges from there, which we didn't really get into, but... Uh, uh, than to bring Christ into it and not to be afraid to, to move to specifics mm-hmm. of Christ-centered yeah. spirituality. Okay. Very good. Again, these are questions we can uh, discuss by email, either one-on-one or with the whole group. So note them down. Now, what is preventive spiritual care? We're anxiously awaiting
but we uh, never solved the problem of what is uh, and how do you get people involved in their own preventive spiritual care and their own preventive physical care. That's a that's an issue that I still think is is uh, well worth spending some time on and trying to figure out how how do you do that. Well, let me just add a when question. When should preventive spiritual care begin? I firmly believe it should begin in the maternity. In other words, learning preventive spiritual care should start at birth. Helping our children to think positively, to be affirmed, and to be involved in the kinds of thinking, play, activities, studies that will build them up rather than tear them apart. And, of course, that means father and mother loving each other, that sort of thing. Uh, There is a particular formula in the Bible for preventive spiritual care. Anyone want to venture what that might be? Hmm? Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6, which says... In other words, fathers teaching children God's word as they're sitting around the table eating. I think that's what you're referring to. And also, that's half of what the biblical formula for preventive uh, spiritual care is. And that half is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. And the other half is love your neighbor as yourself. If we do that, we're going to be healthy. Yes, ma'am. Shout it out. Okay, she says, isn't this the role of the church? You just pushed a button of mine back here. Why is the church not doing this? All churches preach about is grace and getting to heaven. Not about how we live here on earth. How we love our wives or our husbands or our children or uh, live with our neighbors or and so forth. So I don't want to push that too far. But this, the church needs to be here. Pastors need to realize they're healers. I hope you got uh, Dr. Chuck's book, Preach and Heal. And some marvelous ideas there that pastors are healers. Pastors are preventive medicine specialists, if they would realize it. Okay, this is marvelous grist for this kind of uh, uh, networking by email. If you haven't yet found that pad to sign up, uh, keep it circulating, and we'll put it over here afterward. I just want to wind this up with a couple of thoughts that we use. This is our problem. This is what biomedicine has done. 
we have divided, compartmentalized the person into four separate parts. There are four separate caregiving institutions for body, for soul, for spirit, and for uh, relationships. The physician takes care of the body. Counselors take care of the soul. Pastors, a few, most of them haven't been trained, are supposed to do spiritual care. Social workers do relationship care. All of these people work in different places geographically. They have different fee structures. They require separate appointments. And there is no teamwork whatsoever. So that's part of our problem. And here's the situation. Someone comes with diabetes or an autoimmune disease, we do our physical thing. Failing to realize that that person may be filled with destructive feelings, emotions, uh, despair, anxiety, or has just gone through a divorce. We don't even take that history. So, again, share some ideas about the kinds of history we should be taking. So, what is the solution? I do know how to spell it, but, uh, you know, I was working kind of quickly here. What is the biblical scientific solution? And here's a marvelous verse. Peace of mind makes the body strong. Envy makes the body sick. That's Proverbs 14.30. The most important medical verse in the Bible. Written 3,000 years ago. The fascinating thing is that although King Solomon didn't have a clue about mechanisms, how does peace of mind make the body strong? How does envy make the body sick? We're now finding that out. Hans Selyer did fascinating work. Uh, Psychoneuroimmunology is doing marvelous work. And so we need to be able to bring this all together. And here is the vision that a few of us share, that it all can take place in one setting. That there be a team approach in hospitals, in clinics, especially in private practices, so that there are health providers, physicians, PAs, nurse practitioners, therapists, and so on, but administrative staff be trained in this, trained spiritual caregivers available who know and have the time to follow through on this, and even the administrative staff be aware of this and participating in it, and then, of course, bringing in family, friends, uh, support communities, and so forth. But even this picture is not complete. Something is missing. And the Lord Jesus Christ has incredible power to heal people today. Uh, turn to your elements. The very first picture, the first full page picture on page three or four is a man who knows this. I don't know how many of you know Dr. Harvey Elder. He's worshiping the Lord in this picture. Harvey is professor of infectious disease at Loma Linda. He was. He's now retired. 
He didn't have a clue how to give spiritual care, but one day he found on his ward a new admission, a lady who had bronchial asthma. She thought to herself, what in the world is this lady doing on my ward? Well, he read the referral note. Harry, this lady we've been caring for for years with asthma. It's getting worse and worse. We don't know what to do. Could she have an infection in her lungs? Please take a look at her. Harvey asked her two questions. How long have you had asthma? 20 years. What happened in your life 20 years ago when you first got sick? Sir, I did an abortion. Oh, he said. So you think God is punishing you? She said, yes. She was a Christian lady. She went to church. She may have been prayed for. I don't know. But, of course, prayer didn't help. Uh, what was her real problem? What was the etiology of her asthma? Harvey said to her, ma'am, God is not a punishing God. God is a forgiving God. Would you like to be forgiven? She said, God can't forgive me. I killed my baby. He pulled out his New Testament. Not many infectious disease specialists carry a New Testament in their pocket, but they should. And read 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful. He will keep his promise. He'll do two things. Anybody can say what those are? He will. Oh, come on now. He will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from our unrighteousness, our wrongdoing. And he repeated his quote, would you like to be forgiven? She said, yes. He said, well, then tell Jesus about it. She did. And within five minutes, her asthma was finished. So this works. Uh, that was a rather dramatic case, but when we bring Jesus in, wonderful things happen. Here are a few books that I have found very, very helpful. One book, God, Medicine, and Miracles, uh, I wrote to try to convince Americans of this approach. There's a couple copies here. There are more down at the CMDA booth uh, uh, on the first level. Uh, these are $12. Anybody wants them? You can see me. Uh, the Faith Factor by Dale Matthews brings together the scientific evidence about this. So also does the third book, The Link Between Religion and Health by Harvey Koenig and, and Harry Cohen from Duke. The Healing Power of a Healthy Mind. William Bacchus is a clinical psychologist and a Lutheran pastor who labored for years to help people find healing for their spirit, never realizing that when the spirit of a person is healed, that has physiological effects on their body. But in the correspondence he and I had together, he suddenly realized that. Hans Selyer, some of you older folks know of him, he is sort of the father of studies about stress, Canadian, back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. That's a marvelous book, The Stress of Life. And then on counseling, how to be a people helper, but there are many other books. Now, I just want to mention, for many years, we have had workshops, starting back in the 80s in Africa, 
and then from the mid-90s here in the U.S. and other countries, a three-day workshop on how to care for the whole person. And I do this with a colleague of mine, Dr. Uh, Sherry O'Donnell from Michigan. But it's difficult for many of you to take three or four or five days, travel somewhere uh, for a workshop. We have finally put it on DVD. So a 22-hour course that gives 14 hours of CME credit is available on DVD on how to care for the whole person. So if you are a provider or a spiritual caregiver and you would like that, there's some flyers here, there's some flyers over there. Uh, please help yourself. Medical evangelism training strategies is another uh, group. Their website is there. That's more related to evangelism than just uh, than to healing. And also the saline solution from CMDA oriented again toward evangelism, but it's a good start. And then the Medical Strategic Network, uh, and there's an email address there. And then finally, here are some questions. And I'll just leave that up. Here are the people I've been talking about. There's my email, Dr. Sherry O'Donnell, who does this DVD course with me, and Dr. Harvey Elder. So <clears throat> those of you who are students and who are wondering, well, how in the world can I do anything along these lines? Well, just get acquainted with the people you're caring for. And asking just simple, non-threatening questions. Hey, tell me about your family. There's not a soul in the world that would be threatened by that uh, opening. They love to talk about their family. But then as you listen, are there issues or things in your family that concern you? And you could ask that. And then how are you trying to handle those issues? Do you need help? Uh, and then what about your faith? And is your faith helpful to you? Are you talking to God about this? Do you know God? <laughs> Have you ever asked God himself, the Lord, to come into your own spirit and live with you and help you? So, uh, unfortunately, our time is up. But, like I said at the beginning, this is just a start. And I will take these pieces of paper that you've signed and make a group list and get in touch with you very shortly. Yes, ma'am. Can I ask a question? Um, when you send the email out, can you put something in the heading so we know who you are? Otherwise, a lot of our computers will spam you and we'll lose it. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. Um, what I have done with the community health group is the mass address list is a blind copy. So that if it does go into a sensitive area, the address list of all of the people, including your own, are not there. And I will send the uh, main copy to Sherry O'Donnell or Harvey Elder, but blind copy is all of the rest of you. Uh, but in the subject line, it will be whatever I'm writing about. But how to get it through your spam buster, I don't know. You'll have to work on that. 
your spam buster should be letting you know what's gone into it, and you can whitelist it. Okay, uh, where is one of those pads? If you could get one and put it on the table for anyone who hasn't signed up yet and would like to, uh, it's available over here. Thank you very much for your kind participation. Your participation was in the school of